sounds like it's a system or some sort of a ring. That's what the rumor is, and that's what the victims have told me, uh, both when I interviewed them for the Gorman story and after that, some new victims that have come up, they all said it was child pedophile ring that they would get kids from Mexico, bring them up, and disperse them from the compound in Taos. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. And welcome to show number 47 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Today we're going to talk about the FBI investigation of R.C. Gorman, white slavery, and the association between Gorman, New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, and several Catholic priests. To tell about his interviews with the victims of R.C. Gorman is Vern Beachy. Well, hello, Bill. Back again. It's Good to be back on a totally different subject this time. What can you tell me about R.C. Gorman? Well, R.C. Gorman is, first and foremost, he is a noted Southwest Indian artist. And if anybody collects art, and if you have any Southwest art in that, uh, certainly you would have an R.C. Gorman in your collection. I guess there are two big Southwest uh, Indian artists that come to mind, uh, R.C. Gorman and Georgia or O'Keefe. So if, if anybody who collects art and knows anything about art, uh, specifically you know about R.C. Gorman. And in the Southwest, if you go to a hotel or uh, any lobby uh, such as that, generally you will see a Gorman on the wall. Uh, so he is pretty prominent on his, on his paintings. He's been doing it since the late 60s, and he died uh, November 3rd of last year. But we're not here to talk about art. We're here to talk about white slavery. Yes, uh, it would be white slavery, basically, and it all stemmed from uh, pedophile charges, uh, or allegations. I, I won't say charges because R.C. Gorman was never charged with anything when he was alive. But when back in 1999, when I was working as news director at KOB Radio in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I did a special five-part series of reports on the radio. Uh, KOB was the number one news station in the southwest and i aired these during morning drive the the highest rated portion of the day for radio uh for five consecutive days and what i did was outline that rc gorman uh was a pedophile and abused boys and has been abusing boys since the late 60s and early 70s and I talked to the victims that uh, he was never charged with a crime because the statute of limitations had long since run out for anything that these guys and these victims were talking about. Um, and anything new would be a different story, but I was talking uh, to victims who were abused in the late 60s and the 70s and who were still abused today in their mind because it was a mental abuse now from what had happened to them when they were at the time 13 and 14 years old and what had happened uh, uh, when they were working for R.C. Gorman at his place in Taos. Why is this story important to hear about today? I think the story is important to to learn about today. While there won't be, you know, R.C. Gorman was 
uh, he did pass away last year, and no charges were filed. And it's important for the public to know what type of man he was. Hopefully, this will help prevent something like this from happening in the future and from being swept under the rug because two two of victim, all of the ones that I've talked to, money is not their their motivating factor. When they tell their story, it helps them heal and uh, and it also helps them to maybe realize that they're keeping somebody from undergoing the same type of torture and horror that they had undergone, and and that's part of their healing process, too. It has really nothing to do with money. They would accept money, I'm sure, like anybody would, but their motivating factor is, is healing, uh, first and foremost. That's what they're doing. I think it's important for them to tell it, and it's important for the public to know about it, certainly on on R.C. Gorman, but there's offshoots in, in the other stuff that the story goes much deeper than R.C. Gorman, and the victims now want to make sure that story is told. And there also seems to be a connection with the current governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, as well. Yes, uh, there is... The R.C. Gorman story, back when I first started researching this in 97 and um, ended up doing a series of reports in August of 99, uh, when I completed my uh, R.C. Gorman aspect. But always the underlying rumor was uh, uh, there are a lot of, uh, Roman Catholic priests that are involved with this pedophile ring and that are very good friends of R.C. Gorman and most notably the current governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, who has some presidential aspirations and, and he was at the Department of Energy and a U.N. ambassador, and he's currently the sitting governor of New Mexico. And the rumor has it that he wants to run for president, and I believe that because I think he has his sights set on a higher office, but I think this aspect would keep him from doing that. But that's just my opinion. Uh, When he died... Uh, Bill Richardson was at R.C. Gorman's funeral and gave him a eulogy about... It It was a typical eulogy on how you would describe a very close friend. And Bill Richardson was talking about how he was a great guy. He was great for the Navajo uh, uh, people, and he was a, a shining example of what everybody should live up to and i was reading that in in the newspaper because i was living in memphis when he died but i was reading that and i was blown away by what bill richardson was saying about rc gorman because i knew that rc gorman is this longtime pedophile not just a, a single incident or two incidents it goes back to the late 60s and 70s and I knew Bill Richardson there was no way that he could not know about that and because that's the rumors and those were the rumors in in New Mexico even when I uh, first started uh, working there when I moved there I heard them and I was just working at a radio station. And here this guy was a sitting governor and would go visit R.C. Gorman a lot at his Taos house and, and go to parties. And so there was no way he could not know about what was going on. So I was blown away by the, the public arrogance of that because everybody else there knew about R.C. Gorman. If they didn't know the facts, they had heard them. Um, 
they had heard him for quite a while, and yet the sitting governor was talking about how this guy was a, a pillar of his community, and and I couldn't see how anybody could could view any view Gorman that way. So Governor Richardson was going to these parties. What kind of parties was he going to? According to the victims, and uh, I didn't, I didn't go to the parties. Never been, uh, never been at his uh, house in Taos. But the parties uh, that Gorman would throw would include some uh, underage boys, and he would pass around these boys, and these boys would sexually satisfy. Uh, the party goers. Um, so you're saying the governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, was a part of these parties and also participating in these activities? I don't know if he participated. I, there's no way I could know that. Uh, I know he was a part, uh, was an invited guest at some of the parties. So being an invited guest, he attended those parties. He attended those parties. Whether and, and he, or not he participated, I don't know. And knowing what I know about Bill Richardson and when I met him a couple of times, I would have to say no, that he didn't. But he was an invited guest to those parties, and what... What they did there is between him and uh, whoever else was at the parties, because I certainly was never a part uh, of the parties. Uh, I was not there when when they took place, but I did talk to to the victims who were at the parties and did help Gorman and eventually uh, tried to get financial compensation from Gorman for the sexual abuse that they uh, endured as a result of Gorman. So at these parties, you've got a, a sitting governor that probably knows that this illegal activity is going on. Mm -hmm. At the time, let me make, he was not a sitting governor at the time. Oh, he wasn't? No. He was uh, uh, a part of uh, initially the Clinton administration in the U.N. and I think Energy Department, but at the time of these parties, he was not a sitting governor, and he, was, he has since been elected uh, governor of New Mexico and is going up for uh, re-election this year. So this is part of his past? This is part of his past. And just to clarify, you don't have any connections to the opposition of Richardson's party? No, not at all. Not at all. I have no uh, involvement in uh, New Mexico politics, be it on the Democrat or the Republican or, in the case of New Mexico, the Green Party. Um, I have no connection whatsoever, uh, nor have I ever had any connection. The only, the impetus that I had with this story, and even today with working with the victims, is to get the story told. I never took any, any money for this, and as a matter of fact, I lost money because I ultimately lost my job after I did the story. But um, I never took any money, nor was I ever offered any money to, you know, make sure that this is aired, aired a certain way or make sure that this is aired at all. Never did. Money never changed hands. That was not my motivation. And even to this day, it's not. Um, I, I'm still doing work on it, uh, basically on behalf of victims, and it's and it involves uh, uh, several Catholic priests in New Mexico, certainly not Gorman now because of his passing last year, but it is connected that way, and I'm working with several victims now that uh, are more involved with uh, getting justice from 
because they were victims of clergy abuse. Let's talk about your sources here. Are, yeah. are you hearing this from from one person or several people? And are these sources any of the six that originally settled with R.C. Gorman? The sources that I uh, that I talked to, I talked to two specifically victim sources. I talked to others during the series, and it, it, it was a five-part series, but I talked to two and interviewed two victims specifically, and they were part of the original six that settled with Gorman uh, with the abuse allegations. Uh, those were the the two main sources for the story, and also uh, a victim advocacy group uh, that first started working with R.C. Gorman, uh, probing and looking into that, uh, uh, the allegations, uh, was called Guardian of New Mexico, and I worked with them closely and got a lot of the information from them. They put me in touch with uh, with other sources, like there's a, a curator uh, at a New Mexico art gallery that she was the chief source of any and all of the information. She sold Gorman's, and to this day still does. And she was a, a main source. And on my webpage, I name her, and the reason why I name her, usually reporters don't name their sources, but I did name her and the reason why. But her name is Nancy Steen. She runs the Western Graphics Gallery in Corona, New Mexico. And she learned about that. One of the victims initially called her looking for help. And that's when... Uh, everything started rolling. I, I got that initial call, uh, that telephone call, answering machine tape where this victim was pleading for help. And she gave it to me, and I used that in, in the series. So it was several different sources, but I used two of the victims, two of the six initial victims that, that filed action uh, against R.C. Gorman and were part of the payoff. It sounds like it's a system or some sort of a ring that transports these young boys from Mexico and other places into New Mexico and then just kind of scatters them amongst these people who are invited to the parties. That's what uh, the rumor is, and that's what the victims have told me, uh, both when I interviewed them for the Gorman story and... Uh, after that, uh, some new victims that have come up, they all said it was uh, a child pedophile ring that they would get kids from Mexico, bring them up, and disperse them from the compound in Taos uh, and, and go from there. Uh, those were the allegations when I was doing the Gorman story, but my focus at the time was on Gorman. And... I didn't want to get scattered in 50 different directions and, and lose my focus on what I was, I was reporting on at the time, and at the time it was R.C. Gorman. Uh, throughout my investigation, there were priests named. Uh, Conrad Runnenbaum is one of those names, and others that are named in there, and I knew about them. But my focus was on Gorman, and I wanted to make, uh, I wanted to tell the story of Gorman. I didn't want to get lost in the other things. And now I guess it, it shifts from Gorman to the priests involved there in New Mexico, and that's my focus uh, uh, at this point. It also sounds like the governor of New Mexico has some sort of knowledge about this ring. So what is your guess on why he doesn't go after these guys? Hmm. Uh, money. For example, if he were to go after R.C. Gorman, the, the, uh, 
the money would stop, and I'm sure money has a lot to do with it, as as it does with almost anything in the world today. But certainly in politics, money has a lot to do with a lot of things. And the thing that I I would speculate why Richardson does not come out uh, with his knowledge of this, or if he does, you know, I'm sure he does, but is because of money. He doesn't want the coffers to dry up, which they would. Did you ever meet R.C. Gorman? No, never did. I tried several times. He would never meet with me, nor would he talk with me over the phone. Um, I went up to the Navajo Gallery in Taos, uh, just Sight unseen, I mean unannounced, just trying to catch him, uh, trying to see if I can talk with him, and was never successful. Uh, tried numerous times uh, to talk with him to get his side of the story. I wanted to tell his side as well. Uh, but he never did talk with me. Before or after, before, during, or after, um, the series aired. He, he never did uh, contact me. After the series ended, his people got in touch with you or the radio station, correct? Uh, apparently, with the radio station, uh, and I was told this, I don't have any uh, first-hand knowledge of who called and who did what, but apparently R.C. Gorman's representatives called and threatened to sue because of of the uh, false reports that I had put on the air and, and defamation of character and, and everything like that, unless the radio station got rid of me. Uh, that's what I was told, and the radio station got rid of me. Recently, Larry Barker from KRQE did a story on R.C. Gorman, and after viewing that, what was your reaction? Uh I kind of smile because uh, when Larry Barker, he's been an investigative reporter at KRQE for years. He was an investigative reporter when I was there. I met Barker before. We worked together because we were in the media in Albuquerque. There's no way we couldn't work together. Um, but we never worked on this story. And uh, when I saw Larry Barker's report that aired just a week ago, he talked about the FBI investigation of the pedophile allegations against R.C. Gorman, and it was started in 1998, the FBI's investigation, and they have just released uh, the details of this because of R.C. Gorman's death last year. And in looking at the report and viewing the report and listening to it, I thought the FBI vindicated everything that I reported on verbatim almost. Um, to me, I looked at it and I said, it's vindication. If anybody had some, some questions uh, still lingering, whether I was out to get R.C. Gorman or something like that, the FBI report vindicated me completely, and if you were to listen to the reports that I have on my webpage, I just put up my radio reports that I did and aired then, uh, and then you were to look at Larry Barker's report or watch it, it would be almost identical to what I reported, but I had more detail, of course, than he did because um, the FBI stuff, there was things that I'm sure he couldn't use, like the victims' names, and and which ethically I wouldn't use, and I didn't use them either. But it pretty much vindicated everything point by point what I did. I knew I was on the right track, but the FBI just confirmed it, I guess, uh, eight years after the fact. We received permission from KRQE to link that video 
report onto our website, too, so our listeners can go to our website and go to the link, and they can view the news story that aired on KRQE and get their own opinions on, on what they think on R.C. Gorman. Of the information that was in that story, Vern, what stood out? The FBI hinged their investigation on uh, a rather obscure unemployment case involving one victim of R.C. Gorman's and uh, who had worked for him and a settlement agreement. And that's what I hinged the entire series basis of the reports that I did on that obscure unemployment case. And as a result of the unemployment case, you know, rarely does an employer pay an employee who was fired on a minimum wage job, two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars to settle their case. Uh, what it was was that Gorman settled the case and gave him this money if he would keep quiet about these uh, sexual abuse allegations. And at the time, and he did for years, but. Uh, from the victim's standpoint, the reason he came forward and broke the confidentiality agreement and gave me uh, copies of the agreement and told his story is because he felt that uh, he said R.C. Gorman didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So basically all bets were off in his mind. So R.C. Gorman didn't hold up to his end of the bargain, mm-hmm. and this guy that... Uh, was abused, and by the way, in in the report, Gorman says, "Yeah, I had relationships with this guy, but I didn't know how old he was." Yes, this is the same guy. Yes, and he's also the same guy that is saying the governor of New Mexico was invited to those parties and attended. Yes, yes, it's the in in fact two of the victims that I talked with and. They are related to each other. Um, That may give away a little bit more than what I want, but you can people can find that certainly on my website too, because I have a lot of the documents that were basically, you know, non-public up until you know a couple of years ago when I when I decided to put this information out and let the public decide, okay, here's what I investigated, here's why I investigated, and here's what I come up with, and here are my supporting documents. You decide. You, um, you know, you read the story. You listen to the reports or with with, uh, Larry Barker's report, view his report. Uh, and you decide. I I wanted to put my cards on the table, and hopefully I did that, and I think I did that because I've been hearing from victims since then uh, and working with them over the past year um, how it has helped them tremendously. I had no idea I was helping them in the way that I ended up helping them. That was not my intention. It was certainly a good byproduct, but I had no idea that's how I would help them in the end. Do you think R.C. Gorman knew of the FBI probe? Yeah, I think he did. And how do you think he found out about it? Uh, Tongues wag a lot. Uh, And in New Mexico, there's a lot of clicks. just like in high school. And and this guy was pretty powerful, so he had friends in high places. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. One of the things that the victim said is, well, the, uh, and they said this over uh, several times to me, they said, well, the Taos Police Department will never, never really look into R.C. Gorman because he buys uh, uh, playground equipment for the kids and softball uniforms and and equipment for the police department because of his wealth. 
so they'll never really look into R.C. Gorman because it's like, you know, biting the golden goose or killing the golden goose, you know. Nobody wants to do that. And they told me that's one reason the Taos police, for example, would never really look into R.C. Gorman. And also they said that that's one reason that uh, the state won't because the state views him as a treasure, uh, a New Mexico treasure, which um, he was as far as the artist uh, concerns and his philanthropy. Um, he was a genius with all the baggage. Yes, yes, exactly. But the victim said, well, you know, in fact, on the reports that I had, one of the victims said, well, when this comes out, people say, oh, no, you can't be talking about, that's R.C. Gorman. You know, how can he be talking about R.C. Gorman? And the victims and even non-victims, other, other people involved, said the same thing. That's R.C. Gorman. He's talking about R.C. Gorman. How can he be talking about R.C. Gorman? You know, this guy is a pillar of the community. We heard that with the Michael Jackson trials, the first one, and then the second one. And after two trials, we all know how we feel about Michael Jackson. Yeah, and I think it's the same way with R.C. Gorman. But R.C. Gorman was sued six times. Uh-huh. Not twice, but he was sued six times. Six times. But none of this was the reason it didn't stick, and I think this was uh, the major major factor in how R.C. Gorman got away with it as long as he did. Um, there was never anything in a criminal court because of the statute of limitations that were, you know, five years. It, it was uh, the victims that I talked to were talking about abuse in the late 60s and 70s, and they realized that any statute of limitations had long, long since expired and wouldn't be able to get compensation that way in a criminal court for that. But one of the victims took him to unemployment case, and as a result of that unemployment, Gorman decided to pay him off so he wouldn't go any further with the allegations. And then he reneged on the deal. And then he reneged on the deal. And that's when this victim thought, if he's going to do that, the confidentiality agreement that I signed is null and void, and I'm going to talk to Vern and tell him my story and show him the documents, because uh, I have uh, documents on my webpage of the confidentiality agreement and the compensation that Gorman was going to give him, uh, be it cash or paintings that he was going to give him, uh, you know, original Gormans that could go for thirty, forty thousand dollars um, $40,000. That was part of the plan, too, as well as I will make sure that you have a house for life or that your, your family, if you do have a family, is set for life. And he did not follow through on that. And that's why the victims decided to tell their story, in addition to hopefully preventing this from happening to anybody in the future. The investigation stopped in 1998. Do you believe Gorman stopped his behavior? No, I don't, because from uh, I have no firsthand knowledge of this, but... If you talk to anybody who deals with pedophiles or any expert uh, in, in that area, they will tell you to a T, once a pedophile, always a pedophile. And I have heard that many times uh, over and over again, uh, specifically in this case or in others, once a child molester always a child molester. So, no, I don't think that his, uh, his activity stopped in 98. Uh, 
from what I understand, it's like telling them to stop is like telling a human not to breathe. It's what they do. He may have become a little bit more discreet, but I don't think he stopped. So the FBI says that there are numerous victims. Any guess on how many? And Uh, if there are some after 1998, should they be calling the FBI? They should be, um, I think. And um, one of the... uh, the number that was bandied around a lot when I was doing the story was, yeah, there were six victims that we know of that are, are willing to talk and are willing to take some action against Gorman, and they did. Um, but uh, the number that I, was, I heard a lot was 50. 50-plus uh, 50 to 100, and... But basically, you know, yeah, we know of six, but we're willing to bet there were 50. To the people who say, why tarnish his reputation now, what do you say? I say this is important. It's not a matter of tarnishing his reputation. He was a public figure, uh, certainly, because of his artistry and his philanthropy and I, as the messenger, am not tarnishing his, his reputation. He did that himself. And I am just telling the story. And if I were to uh, gloss over the facts and treat him as a lot of people see him as a, as a pillar of the community and somebody who needs to be upheld, I would be complicit in in that same action because I know different and I know differently. It was not that I was out to tarnish his reputation. I was just out to tell people what he really is. And he was a public figure that, that uh, he came across as one thing and I knew something totally different. And I wanted to expose that. And I was doing it, I did it in 1999 with my series of reports. He didn't die until 2005. So I cannot be charged with, oh, why didn't you say anything before he died, you know, so you can, so he can face his accusers. I did. I did it before he died. I did it in 1999. And he had every chance to face his accuser. And yet he remained silent. And the damage that he did lives on. It will until the victims die. They will carry it to their graves. And one thing that, oh, stood out, and uh, it, it was a victim, but it was not a victim of R.C. Gorman's. It was a victim of one of the priests that uh, was involved with R.C. Gorman and was a very close friend of R.C. Gorman. And one thing that stood out uh, beyond anything else or over and above anything else, what he said to me, and I'll, I'll never forget this, he said, as a, as a young boy, he went to the Catholic Church there in Farmington, New Mexico, and this father this priest, and he names him uh, Conran Runnenbaum, and I name him in the, in the pages that I have and the documents that I have on my website, but he said, I have a dream that Runnenbaum was giving me communion, and he was holding up the chalice to me, and I was drinking, but, and this is pretty graphic. He said the chalice was a penis and the wine was semen. And he has that recurring dream and that blows me away. I don't know what to make of that, but that's the extent of the abuse that they feel 
and this guy still feels to this day and will until he dies. And also there are some friends of Gorman's that are still alive uh-huh. that participated in all this stuff. You've you've mentioned that Governor Bill Richardson uh-huh. was invited to these parties, but you've also got some priests in there as well. Yeah, there are some priests that are still alive. One of the victims of Conrad Runnenbaum um, has found out that Runnenbaum is at a retirement home in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he is not he's unsupervised and he has not been charged with anything. Certainly he is frail and old and can't get around that well, but that doesn't uh, erase what he did or what this guy is alleging and and with the priest they're trying to get their story out, the victims are, because they still see it as going on to this day, and they want to stop it. What information have you uncovered that is new to the R.C. Gorman case or to the Priest case that you can share with us today? Well, I think the new information is uh, more and more victims are coming out and talking about their abuse and their memories of abuse at the hands of Catholic priests. And that information is coming out as a result of the R.C. Gorman story. I had a couple of victims that I have been in contact with uh, throughout the country that have seen my website. They did a Google search on Gorman and come up with my website and contacted me and have been... Uh, contacting me on a regular basis, telling their stories uh, to me because I did the series of reports uh, on R.C. Gorman, and they're telling me uh, what they went through at the hands of uh, some Catholic priests that were associated with Gorman. So that's the new information, the victims that are coming out, and that, uh, quite frankly, is, is what I had hoped uh, would be an offshoot of the series of reports that more victims would come, come out and tell their story, and maybe we can help them recover in some small way by telling their story or validating the fact that some of them thought they were crazy for thinking that thoughts, but they saw the Gorman stuff and they said, I'm not crazy. Uh, somebody else went through this, so I'm not going insane. So they would call me and tell me their stories. And that is the new information that I am getting. And we can hold more of the bad guys accountable. Yes, yes. And, and as a result... Maybe it helps the victims in validating what in their mind they went through, but they tried to repress for years, and they said that that couldn't have happened to me. Um, uh, Both victims that I've been talking to on a regular basis, they said, I thought that I was crazy for years until I saw your webpage and I saw the documentation and I listened to the reports and they thought, I'm not crazy. You know, maybe I can help get over this or help somebody from becoming a victim in the future. That's what they want. And hopefully I am helping them through telling them about what I have uncovered, you know, and and helping them, maybe pointing them in a certain direction, who to talk to, some of the names that I've got. I put a lot of the documents up that I had in my investigation that they said helped them tremendously. And I didn't realize how much because I wasn't wasn't in their shoes. But uh, from listening to them, the documents that I put up that I wasn't going to put up because it was not... You know, it was hard to put into context, but with the webpage, I have enough time, 
and I could put things into context as opposed to a, a three-minute radio report once a day, you know. So I, that's what I'm helping, I guess, now. Hopefully, I'm helping them recover in some small way. Vern, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you can ask me three questions about anything. Okay, we'll, we'll stick on the subject. What do you think of the overall story? Reading your stuff initially and, and listening to the reports, you kind of get a feel. But for me, when I saw the, the KRQE story, that really solidified and really backed up all your information obviously from the FBI. I wasn't there. I didn't know the guy. Um, probably from what I've seen, he did this. R.C. Gorman did this to kids. I don't have much sympathy for him as an adult, but probably this was done to him as a child, and so I have a lot of sympathy for R.C. Gorman, the child, if if he did go through that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Continuing this as an adult and then multiplying your victims 50 to 100 times is unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's. Uh, I know you were in this situation, so I'm not asking you uh, a hypothetical question. You were my boss when I was doing news for you back in 1985. If I were to come to you with this information, what, as a general manager, would you do and make sure that was done on my behalf before you aired this? You were, you would have been in this position if I were to come to you and say, Bill, this is what I've got, this is what I'm doing, which I did with the general manager and, and my immediate boss. Um, what, what would you want done or make sure as a general manager? First of all, I'd need to see, and honestly and confidentially, the sources mm-hmm. and just make sure that they're credible. If I could contact and talk to any of those or at least listen to the tapes and the transcripts, I'd want to hear that mm-hmm. in advance. And if it all stands up, you stand by the story. And I've been in that position many times mm-hmm. on, a, on a local level. Mm-hmm. where it's going to make somebody mad and you're going to have an advertiser that is connected to that and they are going to pound their fists and say, we're going to pull it all. And you have to sit there and say, you, that's your right to do it, but we also have an obligation to tell the story. And it comes without having any purse strings attached to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for my third question then, um if you were my boss and you took the action that my bosses did, uh, they fired me as, as a result of that report. Uh, they never did come out and say that's why. But now, eight years later, the FBI came out and pretty much vindicated me and validated everything, almost verbatim, point for point, what I reported back then. How would you feel or uh, as a general manager, or what would you do, if anything, about it? The only thing I can think of is that they should feel ashamed of themselves on a, on a professional level. First of all, even before the, the story aired, you went through the due diligence of showing them the information. And then when they got the pressure put on them, they turned chicken and run. Mm-hmm. And... They probably knew back when they fired you it was credible, but they didn't stand by it. And who's ever there, if they're still in the broadcasting business, and they think that, okay, here's all this information that comes out, and I knew it at the time, and it just solidifies that, then I would be ashamed to even look a news director in the eye and say, I'll stand behind you, because in the end, he won't. As a matter of fact, he's still in that same position, the guy that fired me. Shame on him. Same, yeah. And and I was, 
uh, I was thinking about emailing him and asking him that very question, but part of me wants to let it go now, and I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I will email him and ask him uh, what he thinks now, because he was gung-ho for the story um, when I was working on it, because he said, man, it's uh, we got the number one news station in New Mexico and in the Southwest, and my news director's got this killer story, you know, and he pushed, and he, he kept asking me where I was at, you know. Just, he never did indicate that uh, we, we got to quash this. He, uh, I always thought he would stand by me 100%, but when the going got rough, he turned his tail and ran. In my opinion, he's not worth the email. No, true. Not worth it. True. True. Vern, we'll put a link on our website to your webpage where all this R.C. Gorman information is. And as I said earlier, we'll also have a link to the KRQE news story. Mm -hmm. But how can people get in touch with you if they want to tell their side of the story if there's some more victims out there? Uh the easiest way is to go to my webpage, and if you go to contact info, my phone number, email address, and everything, and address is on there. And you can get in touch with me that way, or email is the easiest way, and um, pick up the phone and give me a call anytime. But just go to vernbeachy.com and get more information. I have uh, one whole page. Uh, dedicated to R.C. Gorman, and if you want to spend the time, uh, I've got a lot of documents there that you can read and the context about them, as well as the five-part series of reports that I did uh, that I aired on, on KOB. You can listen to them and, and go from there. If you want to get in contact with me, feel free. Vern, thank you once again for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. That takes care of another edition of You Are the Guest. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.